Welcome to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, with, we talked about just running through cooking techniques today. Which is fun. Just to make sure that... A little teaching. I, I, think, I think a lot of people, they cook some and they'll follow a recipe and they'll see certain words and they'll be like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I know what a pork chop is, but then they'll see other terms and that starts to get a little confusing. Sure. And then they panic and they just put a pan on the stove and think, okay, I got it. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that it's always much more helpful if someone actually shows you how to do something first when it comes to cooking. No question. But instead, we're going to show you on the radio. Yeah, we're going to show you on the radio, (laughs) and then you can look it up on a video or uh, one of those things. Um, Exactly. So I sent you just a quick list of cooking techniques. So Mm -hmm. from that list... Which is your favorite? Well, I... I, Your, Your favorite, for you personally to cook something, what is your favorite? What's that, like... I'm saute all the way. Oh, yeah. You know I'm saute. So in the kitchen, you know, most stations, it depends. And if you work in a traditional French kitchen, you have lots of stations, and they're all very specific. We don't work that way in the United States very often, um, unless you have about 35 employees. Um, We have a grill station, a saute station, and what we call garmage, which is the French term, uh, which is cold food. And um, I love saute. That was always my station. And I like quick food. I mean, I I love during prep time having the time to braise things and work with things slowly like that. But during service, I'm all about speed, always have been. And that's part of the the game part of what we do that I truly, truly enjoy. And the other night I actually went over, uh, we were doing that that charity event we did on Sunday. I I grilled the veal tenderloins and then I marinated them afterwards. And honestly, going over there and working on the grill, because I almost never do that, I really, really, really enjoyed that very, very, very much. So let, let, I forget how fun it is to grill. Let, but yes, let, I love saute. Let's, so let's, so sautéing is a technique. Technically, correct. what is it? High heat, little fat. And saute means to jump in French. So what, so what kind of pan? It's in a pan, a slope-sided, hopefully a slope-sided pan, a shallow pan, um, a saute pan. And it's best if you have a stainless steel. Uh, it can have different types of metal sandwiched between the stainless steel, but it's best to have a stainless steel surface or a steel surface. Um, we we use all clad pans, but there's all kinds of great pans out there you can buy. Um, you just want them to be heavy duty. You don't want them to be aluminum. That That is the least uh, productive pan, yes. So there, there are old French guys that would tell you saute pans are just low-sided pans, mm-hmm. you know, like wide, flat, low-sided pans. Mm-hmm. And that the slope-sided pans that we think of as saute pans most often are actually omelet pans. Oh, okay. And regardless, the idea is that wide surface area, mm-hmm. low sides. Yeah. Just in case you're like, I'm shopping for cookware. And, right. You know. Well, one of the first things I tell a cook when they're starting to cook online is recognize um, when you the difference between putting something in a pot with a tall side and and a saute pan which ha, should have a sloped side or can have a straight side that is also a saute pan but we but cook and right is you're capturing the moisture or steam in a pot a high sided pot when you have a slope sided shallow pan the steam is much more steam is allowed to escape which creates drier heat the pot creates moist heat because the, the steam is mostly trapped in there or a lot of it is trapped in there 
And um, and and so the pot is great for soups because you're making something that's moist. When you're trying to cook something and to 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 sauté it, you want it to be in a dry situation because you want things to brown. And things aren't going to brown if you have a whole bunch of steam in there. And they're also not going to brown if you've overcrowded your pan. That is because you've reduced the heat in the pan too much, too quickly. You have to be at high heat. You need to maintain the high heat, which, of course, by putting any cold product or even close to room temperature product, you're going to drop the heat in the pan the moment you add that product to the pan. So you have to consider that. Those are things that no, very few people are going to explain to you. Those are things that are very key to cooking correctly. And the pan has to be big enough. Right. The, the overcrowded pan trying to saute is, is not possible. Nope. You're doing some You're sort of boiling. weird steam. You just turned yeah. to boiling pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because what's going to happen is the steam won't allow, it won't be allowed to escape as quickly as it needs to. And the liquid, the, the food, the liquid will, will sit in the pan because it can't reduce enough quickly enough. And that's where you end up with, I mean, you know, a piece of beef tenderloin doesn't have that much liquid in it, but it has some in it. And that's what's going to cause the problem. Well, or chicken breasts. Texture. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a couple of quick things. Saute, like you said, means to jump. It, I, doing it correctly means the, f- the fat is low enough and the heat is high enough that you have to keep moving things in that pan. Or you can. Flipping, tossing, yeah. you know, moving mm-hmm. uh, in order that they don't burn. So I think it's not a bad way to remember. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing that with the heat high enough, you're going to get caramelization, but you don't want it to stick so yeah well and also that's the other key so when you know like i'll go over to a family member's house and and uh i'll see them using steel an sos pad like my mother used to use on a pan and i'm like yep nope don't do that unless you absolutely have to and even then i still wouldn't do it because quite frankly i'd rather see you use barkeep or or something like that if you really need to scrub a pan with a green pad. So use a, a green pad. Um, it's, I don't even know what that, what is that material green pads are made of, but it's not metal. It's, it's a very coarse plastic amalgam. Yeah, okay. So um, you want to, to, to try uh, to soak your pans in soap water, you know, and try and get m- most of the product out that way if you can, even with a soft towel, and then use the green pad if you have to. But you're trying not to ruin the surface that you've created through cooking over and over and over again where that, that pan is smooth and that when the oil hits it, it, it fills in the, any kind of cracks that, you know, tiny, tiny little cracks that would be in the pan or abrasions or whatever in the pan. And, and that way your pan is hot. Then you're adding your oil to coat the pan. Just not you're not immersing anything in any amount of fat. Um, and that way when you go to and your and your product should be dry going in. So let's say let's say you're working with the ever difficult to cook scallop. Because oftentimes folks buy it at the grocery. I was going to ask for examples. So that's that's a, a very good example yeah. because oftentimes when you buy at the grocery, they might be chemically treated, um, which you're trying to not get. Those are the ones you don't want. Um, we we buy what's called dry pack, which means they're not chemically treated, and um, yeah, that's for longevity. That's what they're up to with that. So uh, that creates too much moisture, and it's almost impossible to sear a scallop that's been chemically treated. Yeah, it ends up being kind of gooey no matter yeah, how and, high the and heat is. And they're gross. I mean, they, they taste bad. They're, you know, they taste like chemicals. They don't taste bad. They taste like chemicals, which are bad. Um, and so, um, you uh, like a scallop, I would pat on a uh, paper towel prior to going into that fat. Also, it'll keep you from getting splattered quite as much, too. If, if there's less moisture, there's less spatter, because obviously water and fat don't work together, or liquid and fat don't work together. So steps are? Hot pan. A large enough pan. Mm-hmm. Pan is hot mm-hmm. on the fire. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a piece of seafood, not like 
burning crazy hot. No, never. But but, but, but high, not smoking. Right, not smoking. Short of smoking. Just before smoking. And you place you don't don't toss the scallop in there. No, no, no. You you place them not in unless there. you want to burn yourself. You place them in there one by right. <laughs> in an ugly way. You place Fat them in there the one worst. by one. Worst. That initial sear is really important for the absolutely the appearance of it and the, and the initial caramelization. Absolutely. And I would like to say one more thing about that. So you you so you're going into the pan. You're browning the scallop, and what what you need to do, and again this is something I tell every single cook, you need to cook it evenly on both sides. You want the temperature to come to whatever that desired temperature is, absolutely in the middle. So I've seen cooks think, oh, well, I can just sear it on one side and just, you know, sear it hard and get that beautiful caramelization, then kind of flip it over, pop it in the oven for a minute, and then serve it. No, uh-uh. That is not the way you cook. You want it to be seared. You know, if it's, it's if it's a total of four minutes of cooking, you sear it, to, you know, probably a minute and a half on one side and two and a half minutes on the other side because you are going to drop down the temperature of that pan. So that initial sear is going to be relatively quick. When you go to flip it over, the pan's not going to be maybe as hot. But goal would be two minutes on one side, two minutes on the other side if it's a four-minute total cook time. Um, also, uh, while you can lightly so- uh, season things prior to going into the pan, certainly, you're probably going to need to re-season it before it comes out of the pan because the pan will take some of that seasoning yeah. away. It, it, that's the best way I can describe it. All right. So that's sautéing a scallop. Sautéing a vegetable, a little bit different? Yeah. I mean, I don't know too many vegetables that I like to brown, you know, so we're just no. kind of using the sauté pan as a vessel. It's a little uh, more just, just, just kind of make it dance. Yeah, make it hot. You know, so now m- mushrooms are the definite opposite of what I just said. Um, if I wanted to caramelize cauliflower... Uh, I would boil them first in salted water. I would then, uh, you know, if I'm going to go ahead and boil it and then go ahead and season it or caramelize it and eat it, I would boil it, drain it, and then go into a hot pan with butter and caramelize it in butter with a little bit of salt. That way it gets, you know, golden brown. It's absolutely gorgeous. Or if you don't want caramelized cauliflower, you just go into the pan with warm butter, a little salt or pepper, whatever you're seasoning it with, toss and go. Um, But if you are cooking something like mushrooms, which... It'll take too long to go into, but you want to work out the water content. Then you begin, you know, I don't think mushrooms are uh, desirable unless the water content is, most of it is gone and they begin to caramelize at least. You don't want them to be like dried mushrooms when they come out of the pan. No, you you want to get a firmer, you know, on the road to woodsy texture, mm -hmm. not hard. And so the thought process there is that mushrooms have a high water content. Mushrooms are like sponges, whereas other vegetables don't have nearly that much water content. So you have to know, kind of understand the water content of what you're working with to totally understand how to properly cook vegetables. Um, And also, what have you done to them? Did you already blanch them? So then all you're really doing, like I said, is is warming, dressing them with whatever it is. Maybe you're putting olive oil on it or you're using uh, uh, canola oil or you're using butter or whatever it is. Or, you you know, hey, I want to put some walnut oil on those, on that cauliflower. Then, you know, that you're kind of ending up using your saute pan as a vessel for seasoning. You're not browning. So you yeah. don't want to be on high heat. You want to be on medium heat. You're literally warming and seasoning. Yeah, yeah. Like corn, for example. I always, even if I, even, uh, even though I roast my corn in the husk, when we go to pick it up, you know, now it's cold because obviously we hold it in a refrigerator. When we go to pick up a plate for a guest, we put it in boiling water, which rehydrates it, basically. And then we put on a, a small saute pan with melted butter, salt, maybe a little pepper, and just gently toss it in that. And that's just seasoning. So that's an excellent example of that thought. Let's slide from saute to something I grew up with. Literally, the only way I thought anything was, mm-hmm. thing was ever cooked 
pan frying. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's so the vessel changes. Sure. Right. You you when you when I think of that I think of like my great grandmother's cast iron skillets. Absolutely. It's it's deeper, heavier. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you're going to need heavy. that because it's it's going to take more fat. Yeah. It's going to develop more heat. Yes. And it's right? it's a kind of a dangerous situation when you go to fry. You have to you, be super careful when you're immersion frying. Oh, I mean, well, not not or even not, shallow not, frying. Not yeah, shallow fry. I mean, literally like like stovetop pan frying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when when I think of uh, you know that phrase you always hear, the hotter than fish grease, <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. So that if my great grandmother was cooking a piece of fish, whether it was a piece of cod or if it was a piece mm-hmm. of, if she got trout or, nice. uh, you know, honestly we, we we would get nice haddock once in a while, like all kinds of things. But those softer, really tender fish, they love catfish. Is the oh, classic? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So you give it whatever treatment is you're going to give it. If you dredge it cornmeal, or cornmeal bread it. Or flour or both. Yeah. Yep. Or, yep. or even just like, I mean, frankly, like saumonier is a very delicate version of a pan fry. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's more oil for sure or or more whatever the cooking fat is. But it's is. not immersed in fat, right? It's not immersed. No, it's just a. It's like, uh, it's it's kind of bathtub, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a bathtub. That, <laughs> like that, a quarter inch or a quarter of the way up the product. Yeah, a, a, like a quarter or maybe a little bit more than that. Enough to get like literally just about a half of it browned and perfect. Yeah. A, and a fish you, is easier than, let's say, fried chicken. I mean, you've got to have a little bit more fat. Well, probably. fried chicken's a lot more fat. Yeah, more fat. And you got to manage that temperature. Or you can completely immerse it too, but you can shallow fry. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's d- doing that at home. That's always. That's a slow, careful process. I love fried chicken it, done in a pan. Yep. In a cast there's, iron. There's not much like it. So what, tell tell us why you don't put soap in a cast iron pan, Tony. Why don't you clean it like well, you do your other it. pans? It's criminal. Exactly. It is cri- <laughs> it's criminal. It's criminal. You'll go right to prison. Um, um, oh, my gosh. Because my great-grandmother would have taken her left hand with those big rings on it and Ooh. just dropped them on your head. Oh, golly. Um, left knots on your head. Oh, my God. Um no, you. I mean, you, just like you, almost any pan, but especially steel or cast pan. iron, mm-hmm. a seasoned pan, you you want to you want to wipe it out. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to dump. You the need fat. to get the product out of you, there. You get the product out yeah. of there. Yeah, you, you don't want to make people sick the next time w- you use the pan. Wipe it out, but while it's still warm, you can not hot, but while it's still warm. It's really easy to deal with. Oh, tef- definitely. And the other thing is you can always drop some kosher salt in there and rub it around with a good paper towel, a good thick paper towel, and that will also help to bring some of that product that might be sticking to the bottom out because it's abrasive or it's coarse. You know, that'll help. So when we come back on Formidable Phone Food and Wine, oh, man, that's... Oh, I want that right now. Pan, I want some... The pan-fried some... fish with either very <laughs> oh. cold beer... Oh, and some like sauce remoulade or something. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that sounds that's... so good right now. So, All right. That, oh, my gosh. Okay. So when we come back on Vormer Wolf on Food and Wine, we're going to move into some other techniques uh, like braising and poaching and roasting on Vormer Wolf on Food and Wine or WIPR. <laughs>
Welcome back to Foreman the Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Jeff Cindy Wolf. And this program today we're covering <laughs> cooking techniques. We handled saute. We handled pan fry. Yep. Let's move into something that uh, you'll have a hard time not getting misty about, which is braising. It's true. You love to braise. I do love to braise. And, and, and you know, people always say, so, you know, what do you cook at home? And, you know... I don't cook a lot at home because I'm not home a lot. Um, but when I am home, I will either. I, one of my favorite things to do is to roast a rack of lamb because I really like, you know, in, in the restaurant there there were times where we would portion it and you know grill it or portion it and roast it. And now I do roast the whole racks and then we marinate it and break it down. But when you're at your house, you can roast the whole rack for the group and then you know, let it rest and slice it right before you serve it. And I just, that's so good. And I love, you know, potato gratin. But one of the other things, I always like to braise something. I mean, it's that's, just. I, I think that's where you and I end up, because you're a very impatient cook. And you know me, I. Yeah, you're a slow cook. I'm like, oh, this is therapy. Yeah, you're very this slow. is This is the therapy. Mm-hmm. Except for when you, yes. Yeah, yeah, you like your, yeah, you. Well, I get it. You know, you enjoy. It's an opportunity. When you're at home, it's an opportunity to enjoy it. I cook every day and and have the pressure of getting things out during service. So when I get home, I, I can't turn that off. I've been doing it since I was 19 years old. I mean, it's hard to turn off the, got to get this done, got to do it fast, got to do it perfectly, got to get it out. So every now and then, and it's usually when I go to a grill, then I'm like, oh, this is really fun. I don't have to go fast. I can just enjoy this. But I do love to braise. And it's it, to me, it's a rewarding process because you're working with something that's less expensive. You know, you're taking something that's tough, something that needs attention. Well, it takes care. Braising it takes, takes care. care. And then when you're done, it can be so unbelievably tender and wonderful and good. You can feed a lot of people. It's great the next day. It's just super rewarding to braise things. So... Go through just go through the steps. So the the thing is is that you you again you need dry product. So uh, let's just say you're gonna braise. And what's a good vessel? Right. Uh, so you you need a pot, but you don't necessarily need it to be super high sided. I prefer because yeah. I don't know how many inches that would be, but what, like four to six or something size? Yeah, I'm I mean, just a, I was thinking just heavy bottom. Four, yeah, heavy, super heavy bottom pot, um, definitely stainless steel. Get it hot. Now, this this you are, you, your product, again, pat it dry right before you're about to go into the pan. I'm just going to say something that's tough, but it is expensive, which are beef short ribs, because everybody loves beef short ribs, or a lot of people do. Um you know, w- with that, you have to pat that dry, get your pan, get your wide bottom pan with high si- some sort of high side, uh, hot, and you do go to the smoking point. So you put your, you get your pan hot, you know it's hot, you put your oil in, and it needs to be a neutral oil. You do not waste olive oil on something like this. You're using canola, corn, whatever your neutral oil is. And you put that in, and that needs to nicely coat the bottom of the pan, and, it, and you need to see the striations, you need to see that it's hot, you need to begin to see smoke, and then you immediately go into that pan. You don't want that to like smoke for five minutes or something, because you could burn up the oil. So your product needs to be closer to room temperature. You don't take your short ribs out of the refrigerator, pat them dry, and go into a hot pan. They will cook more evenly, they will act better for you if you let them sit out for maybe 10 minutes or something. I'm not saying an hour or five hours or something ridiculous. You don't want to cause bacteria to develop, but you do want them to lose some of their chill and um, go into that pan. And this is where you definitely don't overcrowd your pan. You would never want anything to overlap 
never. You want everything to hit all, you know, the flat side to hit the surface. If if an elevator says it holds 10 people... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you have four or five on there, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. So you, if you have seven or eight on there, you're overcrowding the pan. Yeah, you don't. You, you you want some distance between the product, but you don't want it all smashed next to each other. That there's no way that's going to bring down the temperature way too quickly. You are going to start to boil. But then again, you don't put on a huge pan and put two short ribs in either, because you're just going to burn up the heat. Uh, you're going to burn up the oil. Um, so you want product in there. You you want it to be patted dry. You want it to be not super cold and um, let it brown on one side. Let it brown on the other side. And now I like to pull it out at that point because if I don't like my oil, if I think my oil has started to get too dark, I will knock that oil out. But you want to try not to do that because that oil has flavor in it and that oil has meat particles in it. So hopefully you have not annihilated your oil. Um, But if you don't have enough room in your pan and you're going to add mirepoix, carrot, celery, and onion, which is typical when you're braising, I like, or I'll at least take some of the pieces of meat out. And then that creates more room in the pan. You can put your mirepoix in. It can start to brown a little bit. It can start to react with the bottom of the pan and all that wonderful meat juice and stuff that's in there. And then you can, once that starts, the mirepoix starts to work, then you can add the other meat back in if you have taken it out. You don't have to do that, but if you think that makes sense, then do it. And then when you're ready, you deglaze that pan with red wine, white wine, whatever is appropriate for the dish, or or maybe you don't want alcohol in there, then deglaze with your stock. Um, and then and then you, you need to cover the product by about, <laughs> I don't know what to say, three fingers, four fingers, uh, you know, a couple of inches, because you, you want it, obviously you want it to be immersed in liquid the entire time you're cooking it. And if you're cooking for something for two or three or four hours, it's going to lose some liquid. Um, bring that up to a boil. The moment it comes up to a boil, you turn it down to a very slow simmer and um, you can cover it and put it in the oven if you if you want to get it off your stovetop or you can leave it on the stovetop. I like to leave it on the stovetop because I like to check it. Yeah. And it's just darn well, easier. It's also, frankly, like it can be heavy. Yeah, exactly. It's and just easier like to leave it on over the stovetop. like leaning over to go in the oven and come out. There's a little bit of danger in that. Exactly. So it just depends on how many things you're cooking, how much stovetop do you need. If you don't need your stovetop, then leave it there, put a lid on it, let it simmer slowly. And, um, you know, lid 100% or lid with a crack? A little bit of a crack is good. And I don't always put a lid on it, so that's up to you. But um, you're obviously going to, a lot more product is going to evaporate. Um, you know, you're not going to have as much steam in there if you don't have a lid on. So you can do it either way. Either way, actually. Um, and yeah, and just let it simmer slowly for a couple of hours until it's nice and tender. You don't want it to fall into oblivion, you know, you do want it to hold yeah. hold its shape, basically. It, but but when it should be fork tender, you, yes. d- you should not require a knife to no do way. much more than no. the No, if you need a knife, you, you have not braised yeah. it properly. You, you should that, be able to easily use a fork. That's, I think, one of the braised things I've done that I enjoyed the most in a long time was, uh, if you recall, COVID Christmas. Mm-hmm. I um, do, yeah. Because I always had because you brought me food. I was Christmas. there by myself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So I got I, I braised and on in my giant vessel at home, mm-hmm. um, veal shoulders, it and then broke so, them into so into good. little pots, mm-hmm. little stove pots, and packed all the other garnishes and then the beans really nice. and the tomatoes. It was delicious. But yeah. that that I spent a lot of time on that and absolutely enjoyed that. It was because absolutely it's the, amazing, the, actually. Because giving the giving care. Yeah. It also desperately wanted a lot of really good red wine. <laughs> <laughs> Veal shoulder is super. I mean, that's that's a great thing to braise. It really is. It's and I don't think a lot of people think of it. So it's good that you brought that up. 
yeah, it's a great piece of meat. Or pork shoulder, if you eat pork, oh my God, or, or pork butt, um, either one. Did I ever tell you what I snuck in that in that sauce? Uh, I don't recall. And the no. braising liquid on, when I reduced it, um, bone marrow. Oh, mm. it's the reason I had a little extra. Yeah, and some truffle. <laughs> that this is the reason I had a little extra <laughs> zip to it. It's delicious. Yeah, and you know the fun thing about something like that too is. You're doing a one. You can do a one pot dish. So when I talked, I, all I said was you just have to put it in the pot in the right order. Right, exactly. <laughs> so all I said about the short rib was mirepoix, a little wine, and um, the stock. Of course, I would add tomato paste. I add tomato paste to mine, not a lot, just a little bit. And I also or roasted tomatoes if I had them, or you it's know, it's good to have the acid preserved tomato, right? Um, and then I like to add a little bit of a, t- a tiny. You have to be so careful with rosemary, um, or if you like thyme, you could add a little bit of that. Um, there, those are nice things with beef. Um, but uh, if you were to do a pork butt, I would go in a different direction. Um, I like chili powder with my pork butt. I put a little bit of saffron in there with it. And uh, but particularly with pork, I love beans and pork. So. Near the end of the, you know, when you're like an hour and a half out on the pork, you could add the beans to the pot, or you could cook them completely separately and add them all together at the end. But it's awfully nice to cook the beans in the liquid that's braising because it's got so much flavor. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was the, that was the, that that particular meal dish. Mm-hmm. That it's time. It's a matter of timing out the beans, timing yeah. out the everything. Yeah. You know what order do you, the beans go in, and then vegetables go in, and then. Mm-hmm. You know, the really then soft vegetables go in. And um, well, you know, my mom always added potatoes to things at the end, too. So that was one of her favorite things to do. It also stretches the meal, quite frankly, for everyone. It's a great way to feed a lot of people. So, um, And then in the South, we would add rice to the pot at the end, and that's called a perlo. So. so, But since braising means searing and then cooking with liquid for a long time. Immersed in liquid. So that's very different from On low heat. poaching, for example. Yeah, it is. So you always think of, I mean, with... Ubiquitous, you know, to a million old buffets were poached salmon, <laughs> which is not easy to do. It's not. No. I, that's one of the first things I learned how to do when I did my apprenticeship in, in Charleston, South Carolina, um, because we served it for brunch. We were I was working in a small boutique hotel. If you do it well, it can be <sighs> crazy good. Oof. And, and they wrapped it in um, cheesecloth and tied it. And she, a chef would poach it in uh, white wine, aromatics, a little bit of fine mirepoix, so finely chopped mirepoix, carrot, celery, and onion, and a little bit of shallot. She also put a couple of cloves of garlic in there. White wine, fish stock, fine mirepoix. And then, you know, I think she would probably put a sprig or two of thyme in there for the salmon. Um, but, yeah, oh, and bay leaves, sorry, uh, and peppercorns. It's just the excuse, like poached salmon, <laughs> oh, what, so when, you, when you chill it, you know, don't. Obviously, you don't portion anything. No, well, that's you, the cool you thing. Did, you, you you sort of pull it, and with really really good cold garnishes and cold sauces. Oh, definitely. That's a spectacular. I might make that like, this summer. Lit, lit, little stack of warm toasts, mm. you know, and some kind of great chauffeur sauce or, mm-hmm. or uh, or frankly, just a mayonnaise. A or, good mayonnaise, yeah. You know. Well, the fun thing about putting it in the cheesecloth is that you can then store it in the cheesecloth. You know, that's the other thing. You you, you, you when you tie it, basically you're, you're well, you're keeping the cheesecloth together and you're supporting the fish. So you you know, if let's say you have a whole side. Well, we are talking, by the way, about a whole side of salmon. At least that's what I'm envisioning yeah. in my mind when we're saying this. So. Um, you're not going to do too well if you're doing little portions. Right. So you're doing the whole side, and it shouldn't have its, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't use it with the skin on. I would cut the belly out, make sure there aren't any bones. And then you have this beautiful presentation fish. That's what you're thinking about when you're talking about the old days. And um, yeah, so when you when you uh, bring it out, you can either consider the carryover time and let it cool down naturally in your refrigerator, well, you know, on your countertop than in your refrigerator, or you can shock it. I prefer to let it cool down naturally. So just, you know, be conscious of the carryover and then have that beautiful thing cooling down in your, you know, eventually just chilled in your refrigerator. Mm, yeah. Different mayonnaise. That's, yum. Yeah. That's a roasted red pepper, uh, aioli. Mm, oh, nice. That sauce. That yeah, Think that about summertime, delicious. that with, like I said, a little stack of grilled toast and uh Yep. And in the old days, they the used same. to garnish it beautifully. They would put the white sauce on top and mm-hmm. do little flowers out of carrots and chives or truffle. And Would they dance around it, Cindy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that, but that's very different from like things that we would, like you might do with for your family real quickly and easily or poaching shrimp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fun. Well, and then yeah. that's not just boiling shrimp. And we need to talk about shallow poaching a, a portion or a couple portions of fish too. But yeah, yeah, with shrimp, um, poached shrimp again, it's sort of what you're after. What are you doing with them? Um, so, are you thinking about chilled, like eventually chilled, poached, chilled, or poached so, and eat? Either way. Okay. Either well, way. if you were gonna poach them and eat them, I would just do you know water, white wine, bay leaf, peppercorn. I would do something very simple. Um, water, white wine, bay leaf, peppercorn, and then yeah, you 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 would cook them, and that's a pot of water. They're immersed in a pot. You're basically, you know, cooking them, and then and then you could do a shallow poach of shrimp as well, which would be, to me, uh, white wine, butter, shallot, and you could just have a little bit. You know, it goes shallow poach is about halfway up the side of whatever the product is, and usually we put a piece of parchment paper on top so it you know, helps to keep the steam in, it helps to keep the moisture in the pot. And um, yeah, that's a great way to cook shrimp because it should be delicate. It's low heat. There's a difference between boiling them, which when they're immersed, and shallow poaching, which is low heat, you know, gentle cooking. Yeah. Yeah, po- poached shrimp, that's, uh, to me, especially really well done and chilled where they're not, it, it's going to sound weird, but not cooked until they're dry. Yeah, when it's when they're still really tender, not overcooking them. Yeah, that that can be an amazing thing. Right, right. Well, and with shallow poach fish, it's you know, let's say you, what's a good example? Um, we could do your cod. Yeah. So if you want a shallow poach cod again, you would have a small flat, uh, straight sided pot. This is when you want your little, you know, your little pot, or your little saute pan with straight sides, and you put in, like I said, white wine, shallot butter, and it's not much butter. It's a very little bit of butter. Or you could use fish stock or, or lobster stock, whichever, or shrimp stock. Shrimp stock is super easy to make. And um, just, you know, halfway upside of the fish, and you just turn it on low heat, and you put the fish in, and you gently turn it over with a fish spatula. And I think my favorite post cod I've ever had was in basquez sauce. Oh my! And buscaina sauce, you know that. Yeah. So it's kind of good. equal tomato, onion, uh, sweet peppers, a little bit of spicy pepper, mm-hmm. and uh, and then fish stock and poach in that. Excellent. And then reduce that a bit. That's your serious. Sauce. That's a serious poach. Yeah, and, it's a and lot of not flavor. crazy, not complicated, Delicious. really tasty. Yeah. And cod can handle it. Mm-hmm. Really good cod, especially. Mm-hmm. When we come back on formidable phone food and wine, we've got a few more cooking techniques to handle. Um, aforementioned roasting, <laughs> the grilling that Cindy doesn't do. <laughs> I'm teasing. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> 
And what else? Just, I guess, what, deep fat frying. Okay, yeah. And uh, all of that and more on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're covering cooking techniques today. It's so That's much fun. I love this. This is fun to talk about. It's almost as much fun as it is to cook and eat. <laughs> exactly. um, Sorry. <laughs> but uh, so we covered, let's see, sauteing mm-hmm. and shallow frying. Braising. Right, pan frying. Mm-hmm. Uh, braising. Shallow poach, length. deep poach. Shallow poach, deep poach. Yep. And now we're on to roasting. Yes. Dry so, heat. Dry heat. That's the whole thing. Well, so it's funny because that's one of the pans. Everyone seems to understand what a roasting pan is. Yeah. Well, everybody's had my mom or dad make a turkey for them probably uh, or something like that. You know, a chicken, a roasted chicken, a roasted turkey. We grow up on that food here. So with have probably seen it. Roasting requires care and seasoning. Maybe, maybe not in that order. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the basting process is super important, and I think it's fun. I mean, I always think it's fun to use the baster thing and get the fat out of the pan and put it all over the bird because it just turns it, or whatever you're cooking, it just makes it golden and gorgeous, and it creates crispiness, and we all love skin. Well, so I know the, it's not the, always the, the There are but... formulas for, like, roasting a chicken, it seems like. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I know my methodology and I think that that's as good or absolutely better than anybody's there people who do all <laughs> kinds of things better than anybody's well let's I think let's not say that but it is excellent though <laughs> let's 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 be realistic it's oh better than anybody's all right um well you better talk about it then it's it's not complicated no but I mean that's one of it's those different, things it's, but one of the things that you do with that process is different from what most people do so I think it's good to talk about and that's the vinegar thing that yeah. you do. Yeah. Well, it, it yeah. yeah. So just so you're going to sear it. I mean, just like like if you, as, as though you were going to braise it. You get you got a very heavy, you know, steel pan. Maybe it's stove or cruze or something like that. That there's a pretty ubiquitous pan that cruze makes that a lot of people have at home. That is, you know, that is that is very heavy. That's ceramic lined. That has a handle. It's big enough to roast one chicken. Really, mm-hmm. it's kind of a perfect size. Mm-hmm. Uh, but getting that good and hot, mm-hmm. or getting a you know, a, or, or you sorry, could use a cast or getting iron, cast, a cast yeah, iron, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. or a cast iron casserole or something, mm-hmm. very hot, or not can... smoking, but but pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. And the step one is season that chicken really, really well. Yes, that means that means inside and out. that means inside and out. Mm-hmm. That means having a more intimate relationship with a with a cold chicken than you probably want to, mm-hmm. um, in in all the ways, <laughs> because everywhere that you get that your seasoning, but you it, have to wash it first. It, you have to wash it first, and you have to cold dry water, it. cold water, cold water. And dear God, please don't put any soap on it. I watched, oh, good lord! I watched a housewife show. I think I've said this before, where oh. the woman put soap on. I'm like, oh my, oh my. Anyway, yes. So yeah. cold water, rinse it out, pat it dry. 
pat it dry really well. Yeah, inside and out again. And let it sit for a minute so the yeah, air kind of dry, like, exactly. dries a little bit. And don't let it sit immersed in water either because it will absorb it. You don't want water in your chicken. Or and, your, and then whatever you're seasoning, if yeah. it's just salt and pepper, mm-hmm. mix them in the ratio that you want because you're literally going to have to take like handfuls of it and give a really good <laughs> massage, like a spa treatment. You yes, know? pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but everywhere, and get every little joint and pull the wings away yeah, a little bit. Yeah, don't ignore and get any part of the and, bird. Right. Yeah, the more the more evenly you do it, the less seasoning it actually requires as a net number. Please remove the gizzard, the 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 the, the things that are inside. Take all the, the bird. stuff inside. Yeah, and a turkey. Yeah. Sometimes they pop them in the back near the head. That's that's yeah. that, that that's that that that's that, that's bad anatomy that, right that there. That is a bad anatomy. And the <laughs> thing too is that with a turkey with that thing back there, I, I bet there are a bunch of people that don't realize yeah. it's there and Whoa. have roasted their bird with the package. Oh, what's of, this? Yeah. Oh shoot. <laughs> roasted plastic in my yeah, turkey. Great. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, well, thanks. actually, my mother used to always put stuffing in that cavity too. So that was like the little secret cavity of stuffing. Besides, <laughs> in the big part. Yeah. Go ahead. Mom and her secrets. Yeah. Well, she was good cook. Is sorry. So, but. Once you've done that, really all you have to do is you sear the bird. You've got to choose what to sear it in. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my, my preferred is duck fat, or if you have chicken fat, schmaltz, you know, combination thereof, great, go for it. Mm-hmm. Duck fat will take the high heat a little bit better. You need a pretty good quantity of it. Yeah, yeah. Because in the end, you're going to roll that bird around. You're going to sear it really well on four sides. Mm-hmm. You're going to kind of tilt it up. You have to tilt it back. So why do you have to sear it if, I mean, like you could just get it to turn brown in the oven. So tell me why you do that. That's a step that not everybody does. It's nice to get the caramelization, and it seals that skin. Okay, right. You know, you've already dried that skin a bit with the seasoning, with salt, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you literally are just like it's wrapping. What happens is that sear just kind of wraps that skin tight to that bird. Mm Mm-hmm. So what happens inside that bird ends up being very moist unless you just annihilate it yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're cooking it. So that that's that's sort of like important step one. And that it usually takes 15 minutes or something if you're doing it with care. Okay. A, a, a good bit of futzing around, a little bit of early basting, and, okay. and that that's a stovetop situation. Okay. Then it goes in the oven. Um, you put it in breast side up. Give it a good baste when it first goes in. Um, I like to season my my chicken with tarragon, but that's which is pretty classical. And I'll put uh, a couple of garlic cloves and a couple of pieces, a couple of whole shallot. And this is inside, the like bird. crushed inside the cavity. Okay. And that, and you can put an herb in there as well if you want to. For me, it's some tarragon in. Uh, always goes in there, and it just kind of all steams out into the, into the bird because you got that really good seal. Sure. Which is nice, um, and then it's going to take a. Depending upon the size of the chicken, anywhere from fifty minutes to like an hour five mm-hmm. to 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 get it to at what temperature to finish correctly. You, do you start it? You don't start it high because you've already seared it. So no, exactly. I mean three seventy five. Okay, something like that. You know, that's honestly it, that's a feel. Are I, you basting? You baste it every like five ten minutes. Oh, that's a lot. You, you okay. pull you pull it out and you baste a lot. Okay. Once you have really good browning on the bird, you don't have to pull it out. You can pull it forward if your racks yeah, are you, safe. Yeah, that's true. If your racks are safe, don't don't. Yeah. You. I I will take a little bit of vinegar, whether it's white wine vinegar, could be cider vinegar, but a little bit of vinegar, and add that when I've got that really good caramelization 
on the outside of the bird, not just in the sear, but when it's complete. When it feels complete, add the vinegar and baste a good bit with that immediately. And that slows down and or stops almost completely the browning. Well, which is going to be important because you have seared it, which you don't have to do when you're like we were saying before. You don't yeah. have to do that. So, but I'm looking for that. I'm looking for that brown. seal. Yeah, that's good. And uh, and and then it just takes patience and attention mm-hmm. to get it to finish. And when it comes out of the oven, let it rest for goodness' sake. You can put a piece of foil on it if you want to. You really don't need to. Mm-hmm. It's going to have, and it's going to keep carrying some heat. Yeah, for sure. Um, I usually will pull it. At like 165, 170, uh, temperature-wise, and it will rest up another five, ten degrees. Okay. Um, no problem at all. Yeah. Well, that's good. You so, know, it, it is good. I know it's good because. <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth eating. So. Well, and you can add mirepoix to that near the end, or you know, or whatever vegetables, root vegetables, right? Parsnips, carrots, the, turnips, if you want. I mean, there are lots of things. To, I mean, that rack of lamb you talked about roasting. Which is great. Uh, ribs certainly roast. Yeah. Ribs also big like the great marinade. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Because in the end, they don't have that much flavor. They have a lot of fat. Yeah. But they don't have like an intense flavor. Well, there's not much meat on ribs. So you, so you can play yeah, with them. for sure. Well, and the other thing is duck, but we want to talk about a couple of other cooking techniques. Maybe we should talk about that some other time, but duck is a little tricky. Let's talk about grilling. Yeah. I think grilling is, you know, you need a clean grill. Uh, that's again when I have a, a new cook or a cook starting on the grill station. I'm like, you have to think about the difference between. Okay, if you have a saute pan, would you let there be carbon in there? Would you put any food in there if there was carbon? No, of course not. So if you have a grill that's dirty that has carbon all over it from the the food that was cooked before or the last time you you know you cook something you didn't clean it properly afterwards, that's disgusting. It is so much easier to clean it when it's still warm, not hot. Yeah, clean it when it's, it's still warm. Yeah, yeah. So you want a good grill brush. Um, you want to. What we do is we take one of our. We have you know white kitchen towels. We roll them. We tie them with butcher twine and make like a little towel roll, and we dip it in the oil. And that's how we oil. You know, we we're also used to putting our hand close to the grill, so we're obviously all used to handling extremely hot things. So our our hands are very you know, can handle a lot. So I've never thought about if that would be bad for someone that doesn't have that sort you, of... You, you can do that with a pair of tongs just as Yeah, well, easily. there you go. Okay, so use a pair of tongs. So oil done, you know, brush your grill. It's hot. You're ready to go. It's at the temperature that you want your grill to be. And, um, you know, if you're on a super, super high heat or you have a wood fire going that's super, super hot, it's going to be very hard to cook your prop your food properly. You want You want different temperatures on your grill. So you need a clean grill. You need a clean grill, brush it down, then you, uh, right before you're about to put your food product on, you oil it. You don't want it to flame up when you oil it. You don't want that much oil on your towel. You want your, or how, however you're adding the oil, you just want to get and let the smoke blow off for a second bef- from the oil. And then you your product should be oiled, but that shouldn't have too much oil on it either because you want to avoid flame ups. Flame up tastes like kerosene. You know, I know everybody likes to, you know, Think of charring their, you know, if you want to do it well, you don't want your food to flame up and you just want it to cook nicely. I want it to caramelize in the grill and I want it to 
to feel that fire, but I'm not looking for like a buildup of carcinogens on my right, food. Right. You don't you don't want to have dark grill marks. It just tastes burned or the flame up, which tastes like kerosene. So avoid that. Uh, the beauty of grilling, especially over wood, is you're you're getting this wonderful flavor and smell from the smoke uh, from the wood and imparting flavor from the wood. So I think you really need to be careful then because the nice thing is to be able to put the lid on the grill or close the lid on the grill, at least a, maybe not all the way, but at least a little bit um, so that it really is getting some of that wonderful smoke into the food. Um, if you're just a gas fired grill and you don't have the advantage of the wood, then just, you know, be super careful. And um, yeah. And when you go to turn your food over, I always like to brush my grill again. I re-oil and then I turn it over. You're getting beautiful grill marks. You're trying for the diamond shape. And, um, you know, again, you want to cook the food even evenly on both sides. You want it to come to a, a proper temperature in the center of the product. And uh, that's it. Temperature for grilling a steak and temperature for grilling a piece of fish. Yeah, I, I think you want to be, uh, you know, more careful on a little bit lower heat. But, but it's still hot. You still want your grill to be hot. I mean, you don't want your food to stick to it. It's got to be hot enough to keep the food from sticking. That's another, you know, the heat helps that. And the obviously the oiled grill and the oiled product helps that. But you want to be careful with fish. If I'm cooking a, you know, a ribeye or something, I'm going to be on light, a little bit higher heat. Uh, yeah, I was going to that's, yeah. I always think like, Medium high and medium low. <laughs> yeah. And the fun thing, too, is like if you have one of those grills with the ledge, then you can put, you know, husk corn and the husk up there and, you know, get that going. Or you can grill onions up there. I'm or... looking at too many catalogs. <laughs> 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 Let's talk about the thing that everyone actually wants to hear about, which is deep fat frying for oh, a minute. yeah. For goodness sake. Nobody wants it. Everybody says no, but then everybody orders it. Yeah. Eat, Frankly, uh, it always sells. I love fried food. Um, it's always you know, the first hors d'oeuvre to go. It always sells. And, and again, it comes back <laughs> to product. Uh, like everything, the product has to be fresh and your oil has to be fresh. And that's the difference between frying at home and frying in a restaurant. I mean, you're not going to use old. I certainly hope you're not going to use old oil at home. You're probably going to use brand new oil. You're probably. I hope you're only going to kind of use it once and uh, that's the end of it. it. It's not the easiest thing to fry at home because how do you get rid of that fat then? I mean, that's how I feel. When I do it at home, I'm like, ugh. And, I mean, it gets everywhere in your kitchen. It kind of coats things. It smells. Uh, yeah, I, I literally I, will put it in jars afterwards yeah. and, like, take it to work ugh. and put it into the, the yeah, back it's not the easiest. Yeah, it's not the easiest thing to dispose of. I mean, that's why you want to kind of go to a restaurant and get fried food but, because... But, if you do we it do at home, it. you got to control your temperature. Yeah, 350 degrees is the right temperature. And you just doing it in a pot is tough. Yeah, yeah, you need it in a th you need a thermometer to make sure that is is the right temperature. That your um, you know peanut oil is great if you can have peanut oil. It's, to me, it is the best thing to fry in. Peanut oil has a high flash point, which means it catches on fire at a high temperature. So you know that's another reason why we cook with peanut oil. It does have good flavor. And um, yeah, if not peanut oil, then a neutral oil again like corn or canola to fry in. All right. Now I'm hungry for the cold glass of champagne with the, uh, the fish fry. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. That's good for you on Sunday afternoon. Yes, for sure. That's all we've got time for today on Cooking Techniques. If you want to correspond with us via email, it's foremanwolf at wipr.org. If you want to listen, re-listen to this program or any one of our others, go to the WIPR website, wipr.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page, and there's a full menu of goodies right there. 
to follow Chef Sandy Wolf on social media? You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook as Chef Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. And thanks for listening. Happy Sunday.